Well, last weekend at this time, I was late to my own sermon. Y'all remember that with baptism and all that? And uh, you applauded when I came up, which is, I, I was hoping would be a weekly thing, but that won't work out probably ever again. But thank y'all. Hey, last weekend, we concluded a series called Repeat After Me. You guys remember, hopefully you were here or tuned in for it, or at least most of it. But we walked through line by line, verse by verse in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer, the most, the most prayed prayer in all of history. Nothing, by the way, comes close. The serenity prayer, it's kind of sweet and good, but it doesn't come close. The now I lay me down to sleep prayer, that's a good one, but it doesn't come close. Ben Stiller with Robert De Niro and around the dinner table with Meet the Parents when De Niro asked Stiller to pray and he said, Lord, what was it? Let me help, help me uh, love you more dearly, see thee more clearly, follow thee more nearly. That's a pretty prayed prayer probably, but doesn't come close to the Lord's Prayer. No, no scientific data here, but maybe the prayer, God help me on this test, is prayed uh, probably the second most, but uh, the Lord's Prayer, we've, been, we've walked through it, and certainly we're not finished with it, but uh, we are going to uh, next week begin something on the heart. So in July, we're going to talk about our hearts. We're going to look at uh, Sunday, July 4th, we are having church, and we're going to look at an unguarded heart from Proverbs 4, and we're going to look at a troubled heart. We're going to look at a, at a defensive heart, an anxious heart from various Proverbs, and hopefully extract some wisdom. It's the command center of your life, and so often it's unguarded, it's weighed down, but it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to dictate your life, and we want your heart to be oriented to life. To, to Christ. And so I'm really, really excited about that. So today, since we concluded a series last weekend or starting a new one on Sunday, July 4th, this is what we call in the industry a standalone sermon. And we will see how it stands. And if after I'm done, I'm alone in here. But here we go. Uh, motivated uh, just devotionally in the, in the Lord as um, I sought maybe the direction for today. And I'm, th- this message, um, at least in its outline, these two big words are motivated by um, a man named Dallas Willard, uh, honestly my f- favorite writer and thinker. And years ago, I got to sit under him in a uh, lecture format, and I heard him talk about these, very briefly talk about these two words. I, I didn't write them down. I didn't have notes in front of me, but I, I wrote them, not to sound cheesy, I wrote them on the tablet of my heart, to borrow some Hebrew poetry there. And I just remember these words. They're both from the Bible. Isn't that good? So uh, if you're ready to take notes or you want to write this on the tablet of your heart, follow with me today. But here are the two words that Dallas Willard brought to my attention. And the first one is from the Bible. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. And it says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Here's our first word, it's the word abounding. And this idea of abounding in our language, the really good word there is overflow. Don't think scarcity, don't think lack or limit. Don't we live that way a lot of times? Don't, don't think that. Think overflow. Think abundance. It's uh, this idea of abounding is really, uh, it's replete in the scripture. Let me give you a few, at least the references. I'll tell you what the passages say, but 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says that God's grace, can I get an amen? God's grace abounds in our life. Anybody happy about that? Anybody just excited about, in in all our judgment and self-righteousness and finger pointing and us versus them, let's just be honest a second. Like, aren't you glad that God is gracious to you? Even if you hadn't been extending grace, Look, I don't want to make it uncomfortable in the room temperature to go up, but some of us haven't been gracious to the people that we live with, and that's who it hurts the most. But aren't you glad that God's love, his grace is not limited or lacking? It's not scarce, but it, it abounds, it overflows. Man, I need it. I am the preacher 
My sins are many. God's grace abounds, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 says, let your love abound. Let your love to one another abound. Let it overflow. Romans 15, 13, I love this. It's pretty juicy. It says, we got joy and we got peace and we got hope in the power of the Holy Spirit and let it overflow. What if your life could be in a place? Look, you're always going to have trouble. You always have situations that are not favorable, circumstances that pull you down. But what if, what if there was something in you that just overflowed? When our uh, youngest child was five years old, he's a young man now, but when he was about five years old, one day we lived in a neighborhood called Bellmead out in the reservoir, and he had an idea that he wanted to pour his own glass of milk. Susan did not think it was a good idea. She stated thusly, this is not a good idea. But she looked at me, the risk taker, and the one who loves messes and fun, and she said, you know, I don't think this is a good idea. I'm very hesitant, but I give you veto power. And so there was a shift. You know, the legislative judicial branch shifted over. to the, So the executive branch, uh, the power that she conferred upon me, I said, I veto your decision, and I think Wesley should pour his own glass of milk. So he puts a glass on the counter and gets out a, a, a big a carton of milk and he, you know, takes the top off and drum roll and he, he just pour, turns it up over into the glass. And y'all, he poured a glass of milk, I mean, to the brim. I mean, right to the top. And he was so excited. He knew we were proud. And dad was kind of right on mom. And, and he was just proud of And he just triumphantly raised his glass and milk spilled all over, all over the counter. It was, you know, like excessive celebration in football. He was just proud of the touchdown, if you will. But for, listen to me, for one minute, this is the visual I have in my, my mind that I try to transfer to you today. It's this, for that one moment before his, before his triumph, for that one moment, he had crowned the glass and it was full. And it couldn't take anything else. It was full and anything else there would overflow. Oh, God's grace to you. Our love to one another. Joy and peace and hope in the power of the Spirit. Not manufactured by man. Have you noticed that doesn't work too well a lot of times? Uh, I, don't, I, I don't overflow when I just clench my fist and grip my teeth and sit in a room and go, I'm going to go have joy and peace and hope. It doesn't work that way very well. Not for me. Let me know if you got some secret ingredient. But it's the power of the Spirit, and it overflows in us. It can have that effect. Oh, to abound. And Paul says this, what? In 1 Corinthians 15, therefore, we have the victory in Christ Jesus. Like, in Christ, you know, by the way, the scripture doesn't talk a lot about how to become a Christian. Anybody know that? Like we do, but it doesn't, there's not a lot of verses about here's how you become a Christian. But it says a whole bunch of times in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. We just need to, have to figure out how to live in union with Christ. We, we, like, we need to follow Jesus. We need to take his word and, and do what he says and follow him in faith and be in Christ. Whatever that means, let's figure out uh, how to be in Christ. And so, but here though, beyond grace and love and joy and peace and hope that should abound, that's our first word, abounding. Uh, this passage says, you remember, we have victory in Christ, therefore be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in, do you remember? In the work of the Lord, always abounding in the work of the Lord that your labor is, that's the scripture we should have left up longer. But therefore, it be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I love that. Hear me. Work of the Lord, in the Lord. Abounding. So here's what I want to say. Do you know that in Christ, God has gifted you? 
Do you know that you've been gifted by him? Do you know that he wants you to work? You ever thought about the just innumerable amount of movies and shows and stuff that talk about, you know, the workaholic dad or the parent that's so busy and they just give themselves to the office and, you know, the, there's the music and the drama and it's a really sweet message. I'm not trying to mock it. Please hear me. But the message is always the same. You kind of know where it's going to go and it's like, a you know, he, he usually a he, he thought it was work and then he realizes it's love. And so the message is, you know, it's not work, it's love. But here's the thing. Love is the greatest, no doubt about it. I would never argue that. Love is the greatest. Don't miss it. But you know what? You're called to work. You're called to work. I don't know how our love would be if I just sat at home all day staring at my wife. I'd like that in some respects, and I know she'd be creeped out about it. But she kind of likes it when I put my hand on the plow and go do something. She kind of likes it when my life has a mission, when there's a fire in my belly and something's fueling me. And I love this idea in 2 Timothy 1.6 where there's a mentoring relationship. Are you mentoring anyone? Are you being mentored? We need to put life on life. We need to come out of isolation and get back in rows and then get into circles and then over coffee and at the grill and on the golf course and wherever, uh, serve 52. We need to get next to each other and let life spill out on life. And Paul says to Timothy, I'm laying hands on you, 2 Timothy 1.6, to fan the flame of the gift that is in you. So that what? So that he would abound in the work, fanning the flames. Because sometimes your work, you want to quit. Anybody? You want to cut corners. You want to procrastinate. You want to avoid. And listen, God has made you to abound in the work of the Lord. Now, it's going to be a little bit different what your work is and what my work is and what even the person sitting next to you, if you're connected to them, that's going to be different. But God has a work for all of us. He has a gift. And can I say today, I would love for you to fan the flame of that. In the early church, we, we miss some of these practices. We do it at Fondren, don't do it enough. But to lay hands on someone, a brother or sister, and to fan, pray that the Spirit would fan the flame of that gift. Notice 1 Corinthians 15, 58, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Abounding is our first word, but always is an important word as well. I love the word always. Jesus, going back to prayer in Luke 18, it says that he told them a parable so that they would always pray and not quit. Always. Always is a cool word. First Corinthians 15, 58. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Look at someone who did. Her name was Dorcas. Acts 9. Don't laugh. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. Isn't that cool? That's just kind of snuck in there, but give it up for Dorcas and Tabitha. Loved her on Bewitch. But she was what? Here's, a, here's one of our words. She was always doing good. That's an important word. Counselors, especially marriage counselors, tell us not to use the word always or never when the volume goes up, all right? So don't say you always, you're always late, you're never on time, you always, you never, because a lot of times you've exaggerated and you've inflicted sharp wounds to someone. So be careful, but always can be a really good word. And you know, it's, it's descriptive. Here's the thing, you live long enough, you get close to people, and then people will describe you by the word always. Ever thought about that? Don't get paranoid here and don't turn the sermon on yourself. But some, you know, when someone mentions your name, hey, so-and-so is always, they're always, they're always cutting jokes. They're always late. They're always looking at their phone. They're always, you know, they're always doing something. What, what, would, what would people say about you? Have you heard anybody say 
fill in your name here, blank is always. What, what would they say about you? Well, this woman in Acts 9.36 just tucked away in Scripture, very important to the early church, says she was always doing good and she was helping the poor. She was always abounding in the work of the Lord. Man, find some work and do it. Give your heart to it. Paul said this, I have poured out my life in 2 Timothy. I have poured out my life, chapter 4, verse 6, as a drink offering. In other words, I'm not running on empty. Uh, life's hard. Look, life is hard and life's going to be hard. Remember we talked about troubles and temptations last week, two massive obstacles. In this world, you will have trouble. Lead us not into temptation. Everybody's faced with it. Everybody's going to have it. But you, even though you have temptations and troubles, you don't have to run on empty. Your life can overflow. Like you, you don't have to be a depleted, joyless, nobody wants you around person. Can I just say that? Is that a hard word for somebody? but to always be doing something. And I, I was pouring my life out. He said, uh, two verses later, I bet a lot of you have heard this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You know, there's a fight, and look, a lot of us like to fight. Uh, we're getting new tools, and we're learning new ways to fight, and it's uh, really troubling to me, to be honest with you. Can, can you give me a pastoral moment? Like some of you, it's sad to me how some of you love to fight. Let me just look at the ceiling while I say this. But some of you just love to fight. And when you fight, there's us and them. And you're, when there's us and them, you're always throwing stuff at the other side. And in that, you're, you're, you're slandering and you're demeaning and you're putting down and you're misrepresenting because you want to win a fight. Can I just say that's a bad fight? What did Paul say? I have fought the good fight. He didn't say I'll walk around getting in a bunch of fights. Now, he contended for the faith, but contending for the faith doesn't mean you get rude in the comment section. And Paul says, I have fought the good fight. It was a good fight. There are a ton of things. Let me just say a zillion things that will pull for your sideway attention. Don't go there. Don't fight fights that don't matter. Fight the good fight. People need to know that they're loved. Fight that fight. Live that fight. He says, I have finished the race. There's already a buzz. I'm going to go ahead and put it out there publicly, but I challenged this past week, I challenged fellow pastors Chris Mixon and Nick Crawford to a race, a foot race, a 10-mile race. Here's the trick. We're going, to, we're going to put it off a couple of months so that I can train, and we're going to meet on the front steps of the church early one morning. There's going to be heat and hills and 10 miles. I get a two-mile head start. We'll finish on the hill. We'll run through Eastover, Twin Lakes, that area, and cut up to Meadowbrook, where I think where the lake is. Is that about five out? But I get a two-mile head start. Hear me now. If you're judging me already, these guys aren't just fellow pastors. They are elite athletes. They are elite athletes. So a two-mile run, heat and heels, 10-mile run, I get a two-mile head start. I've already started talking. I sent a picture of, of, of myself, a selfie of the two guys, and it was a you know, me in the front, I said, you're not going to see this side of me. You're going to be seeing the back of me the whole way. But I've done the timing. They're going to need about a, if, if I train well, they're going to need about a 6.30 over 10 miles. And it'll, and we come back through where our house is, through the cut through. And that's about where they might be getting close to me if I'm trained up and ready. If I'm not trained up and ready, I'm just going to fake an injury and disqualify myself. 
And this will never be illustrated in a sermon ever again, right? Unless these guys take it. But they're elite athletes. Look, I want to finish the race and I want to win and I want to be somewhere within the vicinity of these elite athletes. I want to finish the race. And there is a race. Like I'm getting excited thinking about this. But there's another race that we're called to live and everybody's invited into this race. And here, listen, there's a prize. 1 Corinthians 9, and it's not a perishable wreath. Olympics are about to start. This was pre-Olympics. But there's crowns and there's wreaths. And this is, what, wreaths, this is one that doesn't, it doesn't perish. It doesn't spoil or fade away or rot. It's an eternal crown of righteousness. Listen, think about this. Are you abounding in the work of the Lord? So our second word because we're moving right along. Our second word, beyond abounding, that uh, Dallas Willard gave me from the Bible is the word abiding. And it's, it's com- it comes to us several places in the 15th chapter of John. So we move from 1 Corinthians 15 to John 15, and it's John 15, 4, and it says this. It's a command, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. If you would leave that up, Emmy. There's four allegories in John uh, 14, I'm sorry, John 15, at, um, at least four, but we, we, we learn about the vine. We learn about the branches, just as banks have branches, like we're connected to the vine, but we have different branches, and you got your life, and I got mine, but what if we're a faith family, and you draw nourishment, and I draw nourishment, and th- this is the picture there, but the vine and the, the branches and the vine dresser, the one who prunes, who cuts things, and it hurts us, but we grow. And then there's the fruit. And Jesus said, some of you know it's fruit that, would, that you would bear much of. You would abound. It would be, it's an abiding that leads to an abounding. You would bear much fruit. It would be fruit that would remain. You don't just have, as one pastor says, you don't just have a starting faith. You have a staying faith because you abide. So abiding is this. What's the idea? The connotations is a Greek word. It's pronounced minnow, and it means essentially this. It means to dwell. It means that you have a depth to your life. It means that you have deep prayer, that you live out of your authentic self. We don't talk about this enough in churches, but let me say this. It means that you experience every range of emotion that is authentic in your life. It means that you experience deep joy. It means that you experience deep sorrow. It means that you do not try to hydroplane past any of that. And men especially, if you need any thought, help, or prayer, would you reach out to a pastor here? But to abide means to have a depth, and it means that I don't run on empty or I don't run on ego. It means that I watch myself for what Scripture warns about in Philippians 2 and James uh, chapter 1, 2, and 3, where it talks about a a vain conceit, a selfish ambition, a a bitter jealousy. That James 3.16 tells us where there's envy, there's bitterness and jealousy, and when these things exist, there's disorder and every evil thing. But a life that doesn't abide is, man, and look, and here's the thing, you can abound. You can abound, and when you, when you have abounding, you have people that want to perform, they want to work, they're passionate. You better, you better work. You better not settle for mediocrity because they want to move. And that's a good thing. That can be a God-honoring thing. But when you have people that are just all they're worried about is performance and abounding in a distorted way, when there's no abiding, then there's glossy spiritual language. There's a thin veneer of religiosity. And y'all, it's so tiring. And let me just say this. If you see it or feel it or smell it here, be gentle and be gracious, but call it out. 
if we feel it or smell it or taste it in each other, let's gently and with gentleness and reverence, Galatians 6, let's call it out in each other so that we would be people who abide. How do you know if you're not abiding? Let me say this. Here's how you know you're abiding. You have a testimony. You have an abiding testimony. It would go something like this. Jesus, let me tell you about Jesus. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Let me tell you about my God. He is my shepherd and he makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me by still waters and he restores my soul. I'm quoting from the Bible if you want to get me on plagiarism. But that's my savior. That's my testimony. So how do you know if you're not abiding? Let me give you a few signs. Note takers do that. Take notes. There is an inability to be fully present. There's an inability, there's an irritability with others. You're busy and tired and grouchy. And you tell the people that you live with, what, 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 in a week I won't be busy, tired. Just wait, I'm sorry, be patient. I, I won't be busy, tired, or grouchy when the project's complete or, or when the deadline is met or when the, the transition occurs. Or I won't be, but uh, you know, they're kind of left singing the Garth Brooks if tomorrow never comes and tomorrow never comes and you're busy and tired and grouchy again and again and it's more of who you are and it reflects an inability to abide in your life. And so to abide, here's what I want to give you two things as we talk about abounding and abiding. Because you notice they're kind of a tension, right? There's a tension in abound. I want to abound. I want to work. I want to overflow. But I want to abide. I want to, I want to be still. I want to sit right here. And I want to receive. I want to draw nourishment from the vine. And so there's kind of a tension there. But it's an important tension that we walk because it's, it's important for us. God has called you to love. And God has called you to work, and there's great meaning and eternal value in both. Are you abounding in the work of the Lord? Are you abiding in his love? I want to give you good news and bad news. Here's good news. When it comes to abounding and abiding, God is speaking. That's really good news. I'm, I'm, I'm about to hit you with some really bad news. But first, here's the good news. God is speaking. Now, not in the God is speaking sort of way that turns people off. Not the God is speaking way that I, the world is going to end in five days. Not the God is speaking, hey, you got a demon deep inside of you and I know how to get it out. But first, give me your credit card number. Not the God is speaking as I saw last night amidst the festivities on Dueling Avenue where religious hate speech is spewed from a sidewalk through a bullhorn. God is speaking this way. Not that kind of God is speaking that turns us off. Anybody turned off by that sort of stuff? I'm just, you know, I'm not being judgmental here much. Yes, but you're turned off. Thank you. So I'm turned off that. So don't let the God is speaking thing freak you out, but be willing be willing to move in away from data and logic into soul living. So the good news is that God is speaking. And when he speaks, what does he say? He speaks to you about your identity and your value. He will speak to you about beauty and justice. He will speak to you in the promptings of the spirit. And he will speak to you through the clarity of his word. And God is speaking, and that is really, really good news. Ready for the bad news? Good news, God is speaking. Bad news, we are distracted. Twitter yells at us and tells us how horrible the other side is. Instagram mocks us and tells us how everybody's life is better than ours. 
Facebook shows us pictures of our second cousin's third place karate photo. I don't know about Reddit and other things. Y'all have to teach me about Reddit. I'm willing to learn. I'm getting older, but I'm willing to learn. But there's all kind of, and there's, there are Zoom calls that tell us we can't miss the meeting and we need to be fully clothed for the meeting. There's something I just learned about this week called zombie scrolling. It's a reality. Zombie scrolling gets many of us in trouble. We are the most yelled at and screamed at and market targeted generation ever. And the distractions. Do you recognize any of these phrases? Breaking news. Exclusive interviews. Disturbing videos. Shocking allegations. Troubling images. And these phrases, y'all, the studies show they grab our attention. I want to go do something really important with somebody or with God, but there's breaking news. There could be an exclusive interview with disturbing video that's only appropriate for mature audiences. Oh my gosh, I got to watch this. And we are, oh, God is speaking. God is speaking, but we are distracted. So here's what I want to challenge you with today as we talk about abiding, uh, abounding, and abiding. Uh, I want to challenge you with this. Will you let the bad news continue to override the good news. So quickly from Scripture, because that's our authority, there's an ancient story of a man named Elijah who, like some of us, experienced tremendous exhaustion and depression. If you're experiencing exhaustion and depression, can I just say something? Look at me real quick. You're human. And nobody sitting around you, not even the talking head from the stage right now, is above you or beyond you. It just happens. It means you're, if you're exhausted or depressed, if you're confused or frightened, if you're like Elijah living in a cave and hiding out, sequestered, if you will, it can be okay. But looks at this passage from 1 Kings 19. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Zeal can be a dangerous thing. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword, I guess it's a good thing to be zealous about. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind, circle that word wind, tore through the mountains, it tore the mountains apart rather, and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the, what's our word, wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, circle the word wind, circle the word earthquake, circle the word fire. After the earthquake came a fire. A very purposeful word in Scripture, by the way, that's largely misunderstood and used um, against people. But there was a fire. God's going to speak in that. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Say whisper. When Elijah heard it, y'all must have whispered that. I didn't hear you. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. That's what they did back then in Jewish culture and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? You see, we think it's the wind. My wife was uh, afraid to move to Mississippi for a lot of reasons. 
Wind was one of them. Tornadoes were new for her. It was kind of fun and cute. Uh, when we first uh, moved here, she, she needed me. She ran to my arms when I would turn on the weather channel. Wind can be such a powerful thing. There's terrible, terrible uh, story of, out of Alabama this weekend. It's just terrible. But wind can, can be that, but God wasn't in the wind. Uh, I lived with her out in her home state, and where they had earthquakes, I was frightened, and we felt them, and there were tremors after those earthquakes, and we had to readjust pictures and frames on the wall. Earthquakes are very real. I can be frightened. I would run into her arms when we lived there. But God wasn't in the wind, and he wasn't in the earthquake, and he wasn't in the fire. I tried to get you to say it louder than you did, but he was in the... He was in the, what do, what do poets and philosophers and preachers and contemplative writers talk about? The small, still voice. You know, there's a good reason why. I mean, honestly, this is one of the great passages in all the Bible to me. Good news? What's the good news? Anybody remember? God is speaking. What's the bad news? We are distracted. Let him speak. And let him speak but it's not going to be the way you think. you got to tune in. It's not going to be in the breaking news or the exclusive interviews or the shocking allegations or the disturbing videos. It's going to be when we do a few things. I want to give them to you now. Application is so important. The first thing I want to say to you, oh yeah, here's a big point. To hear the whispers, we must get out of the whirlwind. How about that? Take that home with you today. What's your whirlwind? What is your whirlwind? Can I encourage you to get out of it? Here's what I, the three points I want to give you today. The first is this. Uh, we'll move past that. Linda Stone, tech writer, gave us that phrase, continuous partial attention. That's what we do with each other. Uh, you ever had anybody ask you, hey, did you, did you listen to what I was saying? And then what do you say? Men, listen up. This will be good for you. What, what, did, you, did, you did you hear what I just said? And what do you say? What do we say? Yeah, yeah, I heard what you said. And you're good unless they ask, what did I say? <laughs> and then you're toast. And I've been toast too many times. So it's continuous, partial attention, which is not a life that abounds. No relationship abounds if you're giving each other continuous, partial attention. So here's what I want to challenge you with. It's the first of three points quickly. Our two big words are what? Abounding and abiding. And I gave you good news. God is speaking. I gave you bad news. We are distracted. But to abound and to abide, to abound in the work of the Lord and to abide in his love, we will need to not let the bad news overcome the good news. We need to avoid the bad news, or not avoid it, but we need to push away from it because there's this gravitational pull. So let go. Everybody knows this Psalm 4610. Say it with me. Be still and know that I am God. One more time because a lot of you know it. Be still. One more time, y'all, you only. The Hebrew word there is rafa, and it means to let go of the grip. And everybody's got a grip. You know when you grip something, when you feel insecure, when you feel uncertain, when you feel bored, when you feel numb, when you, you feel left out, you just grip something. You grip it because it's what your security is. When you were a child, it was a blankie. I don't know what it is now. It may be embarrassing to say, but we all grip something. And the, the idea of rafa, of, of, of be still and know that I'm God, is that we, 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 we go and we let go. We let go of what? What do you need to let go of? Where is your grip? What are you holding on to tightly? This is when we need the gift. 
and it's as rare as a precious gemstone. I sound like the Carter Jeweler guys. But it's so rare. But it's the gift of silence. No noise. Nobody's yelling. Nobody's talking. Again, Dallas Willard says that in silence and solitude, it's not what you do, it's what you don't do. And in the don't doing, it's just so valuable. In 2010, Finland, Finland was, they had their tourism board together and they were looking for a way to market their country. And they thought, well, let's, you know, we've been talking about our natural resources like berries and mushrooms and the natural beauty of Finland, but something's missing. And one of them joked, a lot of things happen with a joke. And somebody just joked, you know, we're kind of a quiet and boring country. And that kind of stuck, and the idea ruminated around the room they began to talk about. They're like, that's it, let's market ourselves, let's use that. And so you can Google this, fact check me here, but in Finland, they launched a marketing campaign. What do we say in Mississippi now? What's our, Jackson City was sold, I don't know how we're marketing ourselves. Craig, Craig's out there somewhere, he's the head of the tourism division. But every state, every nation, cities oftentimes have a, have a tagline of, you know, come and tour with us and be here. And so Finland, uh, silence is golden. Talking is silver. That's what they use, and that's what they've used, and it's been effective. It's been very effective for them. And people evidently have said, silence, peace, quiet, take me to this land that you speak of. Here's Finland right here. We're going to pass the plate twice today. If the offering is good, this is going to be my summer home. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I hadn't looked at it. I've only checked it out online, but I probably won't be available when I go there for the summers. But this is my house. Wouldn't you want to join me for a weekend at Finland in August? Peace and quiet and stillness. Y'all, we, have, we don't go to Finland much, but we have noise-canceling headphones, and we go on spiritual retreats. And you know what the people who do, the smart women and men, you know what they do? They, uh, they have people be silent. And the screens go off and they're nowhere near. And we need that. I was thinking I shouldn't do this from the platform, but I was thinking today, uh, don't want to get some of you mad at me, but um, I was thinking today how we... Um, we need more stillness, and maybe as a church, we can prompt it. And I was thinking maybe in August that we would begin something. I don't know if it, anybody you want to come. If you're interested in this, text me, like actually text me and tell me if you think this is a good idea. But maybe like Wednesday, midday, noontime, the sanctuary is open. And I'm in here, and some of our ministers are in here, and you get an invite to come and just to be quiet. If you live or work in Fondren or Bellhaven or Northeast Jackson, it could be convenient for you. If you're out in the reservoir of Madison or Clinton, it'd be a little bit of a drive. But just to come and just to have a time of prayer where this place is open and, and we, can, we can pray and we can be silent and you could be prompted with some lofty thoughts about God. Let go. The second thing is this idea of learn. Let go of what holds you in its grip. And then the next slide here, le- learn from God. Learn from him. Second Timothy chapter 3, 14 to 17 says this, and I love this, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. 
because you know those from whom you've learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. That's Eunice and Lois, the mom and the grandmom. Families are really important, y'all. You've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped, abounding for every good work. One writer put it this way, the Scripture is useful for correcting the erring, for encouraging the despairing, for humbling the overbearing. You know, I have seen all of those in my life. I've needed it's I've needed it's it's inspired the daring. I've needed the correcting, the inspiring. I've needed the humbling, and the scripture can do that for us. When you're learning scripture, what are you learning? You're learning about your identity. You're learning about your family. You're learning about your enemy, and you're learning about the calamity of sin in you and in this world. You're learning about your identity. You're a child of God. You're loved by your Savior. That is who you are. That's what you can learn more and more. You know what I love? The images and the angles that what Scripture gives me when I'm bathing my mind in it. Look, you're going to feed yourself something. You are feeding yourself something. Will you give room for God to speak? Will you let go of what holds the grip and will you learn from him and will you allow the scripture to lead you to salvation and to lead you to what is wise? It, it has that effect. It can have that effect. You learn about your identity. You learn about your family. Our father in heaven, you know what? We're brothers and sisters and we're called to be together. We're called to move away from selfishness and isolation and autonomy and live for each other to do good and care for the poor and to be known for something. And you know what happens when you get around people? I sort of said it earlier, but you'll be known. What are you always known for? Well, people will begin to know you. And by God's grace, you'll feel not just known, but accepted and loved. We know about, we learn from the scriptures, our identity. We learn that we're part of a family. We learn about our enemy and he is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, First Peter 5. He is Genesis 4. He's like a tiger crouching at your door, wanting to have you, but you must master. We'll learn about the calamity of sin. Smart people all around the world are trying to explain away. You know, there was a, a conference a few years ago in Aspen, Colorado, and they were, they were convened, philosophers, to, uh, sociologists, to talk about evil, and the conclusion was that evil doesn't really exist. Well, guess what? It doesn't in Aspen, Colorado. <laughs> but go somewhere else, like Finland. It's terrible over there. But we learn. We learn from the scripture. I say this all the time, and I want this to be one of the repetitive things that I teach uh, people because it's meant so much to me. I learned this from the navigators. Anybody remember them? And I learned this from a pastor at Saddleback called Rick Warren. But he says, there's, uh, navigators taught me when I was in college that there are five ways to intake scripture. If you're going to learn from God, if you're going to hear him speak to you, the, letting go of what holds you back and listening to his voice through the holy scriptures, you can hear the word, you can read the word, you can study the word, you can memorize the word, and you can meditate on it. When I was a young man, I was challenged by a guy who discipled me. I've talked to you about mentoring relationships. And he told me, he said, you know, Robert, you can memorize scripture. And I had a grandmother telling me I could memorize scripture, and I should. 
And she told me that the mind is a muscle, and if you exercise it, you'll be able to remember a lot of things, like people's names and phone numbers and where you left your car keys and stuff like that. And she said, memorize scripture. And a buddy of mine said, memorize. And he said, he told me what he did. And I was young and impressionable. I mean, whatever he was saying, I was kind of doing, you know. And he just said, man, I, I write it out on a card. And so I have a memory verse, and I write the card out. And when I'm brushing my teeth and flossing, y'all floss, right? So when you brush and you floss, you write out the verse, and you're just working it over, and you take it with you throughout the day. And I'm telling you, some of you undersell your mental capacity. You can memorize too. Look at me. You can memorize too. You really can And before you know it, memorization is having a hold in your life. Instead of this book being just so deep that it intimidates you, you'll begin to have breadth and depth, especially if you hear the word. Now, that's the easiest thing to do, and that's what the young generation is doing fairly well. Hear the word. There's a lot of gifted women and men who teach the Bible. Y'all are doing a good job. Some of you hearing the word preached. Do that. Keep doing that. Hear the word. Come to church and read the word. Read it on your own. Study it. Memorize it and meditate on it. And each time I tell you this... But it's so easy to think, you know, I don't meditate. I don't know how to meditate. Well, you do because you know how to worry. And meditation, someone once said, is positive, positive worry. It's putting something good in your mind and working it over and over and over again. And so you can do that. You can intake the scripture. And here's the thing. We worry by default, but we don't meditate by default. So to live in such a way to where we put good thoughts in our mind. You would not drive a high-performance sports car and put low-octane, cheap gasoline in it. You wouldn't be an Olympic athlete and eat bad food. We spend some $30 billion a year as Americans on pet food. And we're remarkably careful about what we put in our cars and our bodies and our pets, but we're so incredibly careless of what we feed our minds. And scripture says, feed it. And listen to me, you can feed your mind. The last thing is this, is to leave. Here's Jesus, super fast, some passages in Mark and uh, Luke. It says this, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Mark 6, 31, then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Luke chapter 4, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. These, the people were looking for him, and when they came to him where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. That will stop there. But listen, Jesus was Savior, King, and Prophet. You say, Pastor, I'm busy and important. I know you are, but you ain't Prophet, Savior, or King. Nobody in here, like, you're trying to save yourself and trying to, you know, save maybe a puppy from a burning building or something, but, like, you ain't saving the world. And I'm not going to argue with how busy, if I'm looking at some of you, you're busy and important, I give it to you. But Jesus had people testing him and questioning him, who is my neighbor? Uh, who is the greatest? Uh, always just peppered with questions, but as busy and important as he was, he had time to go away. So as the team uh, makes their way, I want you to think about these two words, abounding in the work of the Lord and abiding in his love. What do you need to let go of? How can you better learn? And how can you practice the art of leaving where you pull away in the middle of it all? And here's the thing about Jesus. I'm telling you this. I just know it. When he pulled away, it wasn't about him strategizing about the the next disciple-making strategy. It wasn't him making plans about the fourth quarter budget. It wasn't him planning the content for his upcoming Sermon on the Mount series. He prayed and he communed 
with his father and he listened and he learned. He let go of the grip of what tempted him and what pulled him away and what wasn't important so that he could be one who abounded in the work of the Lord and abided in the Father's love. Would you stand today and as we're gonna sing in a moment and go and before we do as an act of worship, it is our practice as a church family that the final Sunday of each month we would take communion and probably most of you or hopefully all of you received the elements when you walked in the cup the juice represents the blood of Jesus shed for you and the, the bread, the wafer here represents the body of Christ broken for you. Jesus said to do this and so we do it. He said to do it and there should be meaning behind it. Though ordinary and earthly elements, though kind of difficult to open, some of you are struggling, we'll be patient. But the, the, this represents the body. Thank God we have a Savior that His grace abounds, that it overflows, and He calls us to live this life of abundance. He said, do this in remembrance of me. So for every follower of Jesus, would you take the bread, you take it, and this do with the body. His blood poured out for you. Lord, as we leave, as we sing and go, Lord, would you bless this offering that we take as a plate is passed, as we think about generosity, as we think about what you've given to us. Would we be a people more and more formed and shaped by giving back? And Lord, would you orient us today in the midst of so much temporal things, so many screens and would you help us, God, to think about two great questions that will confront us one day you asking us, did you abound in my work? Did you abide in my love? Would you help us with practices, with spaces and holy habits and encouraging relationships that we can let go and we can learn from you and we can leave? And these would be gifts for us. In Jesus we pray.